about a little over a year ago, the Lord opened this up to me and began to deal with me about sharing this. These are very simple um, little teachings, little parables that Jesus gave about the kingdom of God. I've been sitting on this for a while, just waiting for the Lord to speak to me. And um, I, believe he, I believe he has and that now's the time. So when you have found Matthew 13, just look up so that I'll know that you're ready. We're good, Mark? All right. Thank you, buddy. In Matthew 13, there's about six parables called the parables of the kingdom. Each of them share a different view of the kingdom of God. And this morning, we're going to take a look at the first parable called the parable of the sower. So beginning in Matthew 13, follow along with me as I read. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Great crowds gathered about him, so that he sat and got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seed fell <coughs> excuse me, on rocky ground where they didn't have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun arose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. But other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to Jesus, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he said to them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they don't see, and hearing they don't hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and their ears they can barely hear with their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear for truly I say to you many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown by the wayside. As for the one that was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself but endures for a while, 
And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, that's the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. And as for the one on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixtyfold, and in another thirty. In, um, in Mark's Gospel, his account of the parable of the sower, he wraps up Jesus' explanation when they had said to him, Oh Lord, um, you know, explain this parable. He says to them in Mark's Gospel, How is it that you don't understand the parable of the sower? Because he said, if you don't understand the parable of the sower, how will you understand any of the parables? The parable of the sower is the zenith of parables. It is the key parable. It conveys ideas and thoughts that if you don't get them and understand them, you will struggle with every teaching Jesus has ever taught. Everything else Jesus says will be a problem to you if you don't understand the parable of the sower. So it's great that we start these parables of the kingdom with the parable of the sower. And let me begin by doing two things. Number one, let me just kind of define for us, at least in the beginning, a simple definition of what is the kingdom of God. And then as we go along in this series, I'll just fill it out a little bit. But in the simplest terms, the kingdom of God is basically the realm of Jesus, of God's blessing through the lordship of Jesus. And if you could just grab hold of that, it is the realm, the sphere, in which God blesses and pours out blessing under the authority of Jesus' lordship. That's why the term kingdom is used, because it describes a realm of authority belonging to a king. Jesus is king of all, not just savior, but king. And so there's blessings under his authority. Then when we see God move in that realm of Jesus' authority, that's the kingdom of God. Then the second thing that I want to say is the, the disciples asked Jesus a question that we not only should be asking, but we should as difficult as it is, get our mind around the answer. And I'm not going to fully answer it this morning, but I want to touch on it. And that is, why parables? They said, why do you talk to them in parables? If it's so important to understand the kingdom of God, why don't you just use your great powers of communication and the fact that you are the Lord and that you are the one who can, with authority and accuracy, explain the kingdom of God? And Jesus gives an amazing answer, and he basically says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And by the way, when Jesus said, He who has ears, they all had ears. And um, they were all capable of hearing. Um, so he wasn't saying, if you have ears and they're able to hear things. He was basically saying, are you willing to listen and learn? He who has ears connected to a heart that is willing to listen, pay attention, and learn. And he says, then let him hear. And that is not a passive statement. It sounds, statement, it sounds like a passive statement when Jesus says, if you have ears to hear, then let, let you hear. But it's actually, a, it's actually an imperative. 
He's saying, if you have ears to hear, listen. That's what Jesus said. In the original language of Jesus' day, after he gave the parable of the sower, and then he begins to explain it, he says, he that has ears to hear. They said, why do you explain things in parables? He that has ears to hear, listen. Listen. And so Jesus shrouds the knowledge of the kingdom in these parables and puts it out like teasers, if you will. And so he floats this knowledge of the kingdom out through parables in order to find those people who are eager to learn and receive and separate those, separate them from those who simply would ignore out of disinterest. If you're not interested, if there's no desire, if you're not at the place in your life where any of this has matters to you, then the Lord is not interested in explaining any of it to you. So, and we'll deal with that a little later in this series. So, um, let me just quote to you a favorite saying that my wife and I have uh, that we've shared for years, and it helps to explain why Jesus spoke in parables. And it's because a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. You can explain things to people, but if their heart does not want to accept it, then you can intellectually beat them into accepting it because you take away all their arguments. They go, well, I see what you're saying, but their heart is not there. That's why people saw Jesus raise the dead, open eyes. They saw that this is obviously God's Messiah, but that's not enough. Their heart was somewhere else, and they didn't follow him. So a man convinced us of, of his will is of the same opinion. So let me just say this to you. If um, somebody listening to this message is among those who listen, but they don't get it, and they think this is, this is just re silly, this kingdom of God business and Jesus. People don't ignore Jesus' message about the kingdom of God because that message is irrelevant. But it's because the ears that are listening are betraying the person who owns them. The problem isn't with the message. The problem is with the heart that owns those ears. The ears are lying to them and telling them this is irrelevant, this doesn't matter. And so with that in mind as an explanation for why Jesus spoke in parables, let's begin the first parable called the parable of the sower. A sower went out to sow. Jesus was the first sower. We are sowers. We sow the word of God, right? And of course God's word is sown into our hearts. And let me say that um, Jesus' primary objective with this parable, when Jesus taught on the parable of the sower, he had one aim in mind. Let me just give it to you up front, whether you're taking notes physically or just mentally fix this in your mind, because he says a lot, but you need to understand all of it is being said for one primary purpose, and that is to establish this truth. Your life must be good soil for the kingdom of God to grow in it. That's the whole point of this. Your life must be good soil or the kingdom of God will not grow in your life. And good soil, quote unquote, is not a commentary about the morality of your life. Morals are important, they have their place. But when, when Jesus talks about good soil, he's not talking about the moral state 
of your heart or of your life. Instead, the conditions that control your mind and heart regulate the kingdom of God in your life. That is a $65,000 statement. If you write that down or if you get the, the MP3 of this message, you want to pull that out, you want to get a hold of that statement. The conditions that control your mind and heart are the same conditions that will regulate the growth and development of the kingdom of God in your life. So Jesus is very, very specific about dealing with the conditions that control people's lives because those conditions also control the kingdom of God and its development in your life. Okay, he presents four basic conditions. Now, all of us are going to probably find one or more of those conditions active in our life. Most of us are probably going to notice all four of them at some level. So, these conditions, while they describe maybe the, um, the prominent conditions or features of someone's life, um, the fact is, is that to one extent or another, we oftentimes, even after we get saved and even after we're in the kingdom of God, we deal with these conditions. So, let me say this. If there have been some dead spots in your relationship with the Lord, just areas where the life of God is not moving, you're not seeing the manifestation of the kingdom, you say, well, what is the manifestation of the kingdom? Jesus said in Romans, the kingdom of God is not legalism about eating and drinking, but the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So if there's areas of your life where righteousness, peace, and joy, or any of the other wonderful manifestations of the kingdom of God, the lordship of Jesus, there's areas of your life that are dead or barren, where you're not seeing um, growth, discipleship isn't taking hold in you, um, those things are lacking, then you really need to pay attention and consider because one of these first three conditions is at work in that area of your life and explains why fruit is not coming forth out of that area. Okay, so having said that, condition number one, the first condition Jesus talked about was the guy who hears but does not understand. Hears, it's like a dog barking. What's he saying? I don't get it. Now, just so that let's take off the table, we're not talking about people who have a difficult time understanding some of the difficult things Jesus said, but they want to understand. Jesus is saying the person who's disinterested. They have no interest. People who are totally not interested in the gospel or heaven or whatever, for whatever the reason is, they're turned off. Their emotions are turned off, turned off in their mind. Jesus said, they're going to hear the gospel. They're going to hear the testimony, the witness, whatever it is. And they're just going to be irritated or they're going to be disinterested. There's no interest. What is damaged in them is their desire. They are being robbed from the seed of the kingdom, robbed of the seed of the kingdom because there's no desire. Whatever's going on with their desires, 
their desire is not open. There's no affection, no desire, no interest. Jesus used the term by the wayside. These were seeds that were sown by the wayside. And sometimes you'll meet somebody, you'll think, boy, that person needs to get saved. They're such, such a nice person. It would be easy for God to save them because God doesn't have to move them very far. They're really close. And, um, you know, we think we have very funny ways of thinking about how people get saved and everything. Um, you know, so you might meet somebody and you'll think, they're such a nice person. They love everybody and they really should be a Christian. Um, and you talk to them and they're just, they could not be more disinterested. As long as they are in that mindset, every witness that is dropped in them, the devil's going to come along immediately and just pick that seed right out. It's as though they never heard it. Until something changes and they get out of by the wayside and they get into the path of I'm interested in hearing. Now, you could get out of the ditch and get into the middle of the road in 30 minutes or in one day. It doesn't take a lot. You don't have to become a great seeker of God. You just all of a sudden your heart has to want to know, is there, any, is there such a thing as eternal life? So they're by the wayside. They're disengaged. And can I say to you, grace will not overcome that. There's nothing that grace can do. If you're disinterested, if you're disengaged, grace does not mean reward without earnest. If you're not earnest, there's nothing grace can do for you. In the first chapter of John's Gospel, when, when John was writing about Jesus, he said, of his fullness we have all received from him, of him, grace for grace. There has to be at least some little open aperture, some little open door of, of earnestness for grace to enter in. And so when there's no earnest attention being paid, the seed of the kingdom is defeated by the lack of desire. All right, let's move on. Condition number two. The second condition Jesus described um, of the, the person who's receiving the seed of the kingdom, the word of God, but there's a problem, is referred to as the person who has no root in himself. There's a lot of that going on today. I don't know that there's been a time in history where there hasn't been a lot of that, but there's a lot of that going on today. No root in himself. What does that mean? Basically, the person who has no root in himself has no free will. They do not have any control over their own will. Their will is at the beck and call of whatever influences they have involved their life with. So they do not have a will because their will has become the prisoner of a cluttered life. Some people clutter their life with all kinds of things and activities and relationships. And in doing so, they find they can't control themselves. They have no self-control. Because their life is cluttered. Jesus said it like this. They are the seed sown on what? Rocky ground. Why did the seed not take root? Because it went down two inches into the dirt and then it hit a rock. The seed can't get any depth. And so the scripture says, this guy or this woman receives, they hear the gospel, they hear the word of God, 
and immediately they receive it with joy. So there's a little bit of soil. They hear the word, they receive it with joy, but immediately when persecution arises because of the word, they're offended and um, the enemy robs them. That sun comes out and scorches it because they have no depth. There's no will. There's no self-control. They cannot hold on to what God has sown into their life. And so I know that we talk about God's will and His power to keep us, but God's will is not a substitution for your will. Now, I'm not going to get into the, you know, uh, talking about the great mystery of the cooperation between the will of God and the will of man, but lest you should think that in your walk in the kingdom of God, that your will has nothing to do with it, that God is simply going to impose over you His will, and wherever your will is totally disengaged, His will is just going to come in anyway and make you do what you ought to do, make you eat and drink the Word and, and follow Jesus. It's not going to happen. So there has to be a part of your will. It doesn't have to be a lot, but there's a part of your will that is available to God. So this guy has no free will. The kingdom of God's seed is being pulled out or, or uh, defeated by a lack of self-control or a lack of willpower. So you must have and exercise free will. And by the way, you can, if you're, most people that are here today, you're saved. You're walking with the Lord. You might be thinking, what are this dead area in my life? One of the things that may be going on relative to your situation is there's areas of your life where you have not brought your will to the place where you have control of your will. We often say, Lord, what's that song? Carrie Underwood, Jesus, take the wheel. Love that song. Jesus, take the wheel. Yeah, that, that's fine, but notice that she's saying, Jesus, take the wheel. So her will is involved. I'm I've got my will. I'm you can't give to God something you don't have. Are you understood? Did anyone count? I know Gene got that. You got what I'm talking about? You can't give. People say, Lord, I give you my will. Lord says, I don't know whether you can do that. You don't even, you, have no, you haven't found your will in the past seven years. You don't even know where it is. So how can you give me your will? So there, there, there has to be a will, an act of will on our part. And uh, so this guy that's planted, he has no root in himself. His problem is he can't stand in the kingdom. He can enter, but he can't stand. So there's no, he has no standing in the kingdom of God because he lacks self-control. Third condition. Um, and then we get to the good one. Yeah, that, well, that's not good for me. I don't want that. That's not the good condition I want in my life, though. That's, that's what I'm saying. The third condition is described by Jesus as the guy who, or the woman who, lives among thorns. Do you live among thorns? In other words, the person who lives among thorns is the person who's just simply not available. I would love to live in the kingdom of God. I would love to see the kingdom of God manifest in my life, but I don't have any time left over. I don't have any energy. My emotional energy is spent on other things. My mind is tangled up with other things. I just don't have time to pray, don't have time to get into the Word. I'm not available. You are being defeated by inaccessibility. The, the kingdom of God is fruitless. 
There's no growth going on because you're not available. God cannot grow and mature the kingdom of God in you if you don't have any time available to present your life to him in, and have a relationship. It just doesn't work. Remember Jesus said, the one who lives among thorns, the cares of the world, the interests of the world, are devouring their time, their energy, their affection, and it has left them unavailable to God. You only have so much time, let me tell you, you only have so much affection. And, you know, this is why some marriages fall apart. Is, is God help you if you fall in love with and marry the person who lives among thorns? Because they may love you, but they'll never be able to love you. They may want to be with you, but they'll never stay with you. Because they are not available. They will drag into that marriage. They will drag into that relationship all the other things that they love, including some of the other people. And why? Because the kingdom of God demands exclusivity. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom. And that didn't just mean priority of order. That meant preeminence. In other words, Jesus said, you're not worthy to follow me if you don't take up your cross. Your cross is, is the ability to put everything else under the kingdom and say, I not only am making the kingdom of God and the king of that kingdom, who is Jesus, Lord of my life, he's everything in my life. Whatever else I've got going on in my life, if it doesn't fit in that relationship, then it's probably robbing me. Are you listening to me? So the kingdom of God cannot exist in second place. I want you to think about that. It is impossible. The kingdom of God cannot exist in second place. Behind other interests. The kingdom of God surrounds Jesus the Lord. Not Jesus the philosopher. There's no kingdom around Jesus the philosopher. Jesus the social reformer. There's no kingdom around Jesus the social reformer. You know, there's a lot of people in this world that have a Jesus. A Jesus who is in the Bible. But for them, he's Jesus the good luck God. He's Jesus the blesser when I need a blessing. Or he's Jesus the philosopher. Or he's Jesus the social worker. But the fact is, there's only one real Jesus, and that's Jesus the Lord. He's Lord of all. And so the kingdom surrounds Jesus who is Lord. Not Jesus, one of the other Jesuses. Good luck, Jesus. For example. So Jesus and his kingdom must be your passion, your profession, and your hobby. Now, you can have other passions, and you can have other professions. Thank goodness, we need jobs. And you can have other hobbies. But if any of them cannot be brought under the lordship of Jesus, so that you do those things with the Lord, through the Lord, and practice His lordship in your life, then they're probably robbing you the seed out of your life. 
I think this is where most of us are at. This is the one I personally feel the most convicted about. Is this one where the, the, the fruitfulness of the seed, the seed is not being taken out of your life. It's just being inhibited. It's not growing. It's being choked out. In order for the kingdom of God and all of those blessings and, and uh, uh, the effect of the kingdom to grow and per be produced in your life, not only does it take desire, not only does it take willpower on your part, but it also takes, when you get right down to it, giving the time and energy to make Jesus Lord and to live like He is Lord. And then be able to say, all these other things I have, my job, my family, my hobbies, my profession, my dreams, my ambitions, all of them, that's why there is no such thing as a Christian who's not willing to take all those things, put them on the altar of God, because Jesus is not good luck Jesus. Jesus is Lord Jesus. And the only kingdom that exists, the only kingdom that exists, is the kingdom under the Lordship of Jesus. Now, this is a very important message for Christians and for unsaved people today. You know, Unsaved people and sinners come in to the church. They only care about one thing. Is God real? They kind of know what's going on out there in the world relative to their own life, but they don't know about Him. And they're not looking for a good luck Jesus. They're not looking for any of those other things. The world's got those. They've, they've seen all that out there. They want to know, is, is there a Lord Jesus? Because that's the only one who can transform my life. That's the only one. That's the only one that unsaved people are going to take their will and their life and bow down and lay it at His feet. Why would you lay your life at the feet of a Jesus that is not Lord of all? Because that's the only one who can keep your life. And so all those other passions pursuits, professions, and hobbies. You can have them, and we used to always say, as long as they don't have you. You can have them, but if they, if you allow those things to exist in your life, but they don't fit under the Lordship of Jesus, to the extent that you put up with them, involve yourself with them, to that extent, you will be barren, and you will be fruitless. And I, now you can see why why I felt like that third person was the most convicted of all. And in the hour and the day that we live in, there is so much that plays towards our time and attention and affection. The enemy has, I think, saved for this last hour his most addictive and powerful weapons to be able to bind and paralyze the church of the last days so that we cannot move in the kingdom of God with the power and anointing that it's going to take for God to do what He wants to do in this hour. Anybody hear what I'm saying this morning? So it says that the word is choked and it becomes, makes you unfruitful. So in this third and final of those three negative cases or conditions, the kingdom of God's seed is being defeated by a lack of availability. You can always tell if a pursuit or a passion 
a profession or a hobby is getting in the way and choking the word because when you're giving yourself to it, things are happening and you're not available to respond. You're not available for God to talk to you. You're not available for the Lord to use you. It's always wonderful to see people executing their profession, doing their job, but, they're, but they are the witness of Jesus on their job. You know, I'm not saying you should quit your job or give up your profession if you can't let Jesus be Lord of your life. The answer is you need to bring it under the Lordship of Jesus so that the kingdom of God can operate through you. Too many Christians say, oh, I can't, can't stay on this job. It's just a bunch of sinners. Well, we don't need anyone working in the church. And I'm not sure it's going to be that much better working in the church. So the fact of the matter is that God's answer for the condition on your job is you. And you walking in the lordship of Jesus and practicing his lordship where you're at. Now the good news, this leads us to condition number four, which Jesus described as good ground. Good ground. Good ground describes a, a condition that I would say, I would put it in these terms, I would say that you are developed heavenly real estate. The kingdom of God is huge because there's millions of people in it. The kingdom of God in the world is not bound by the boundaries of a town, a neighborhood, a community, or any of those boundaries that, the, that uh, man puts up. Jesus said, don't look outward, but look inward. The kingdom of heaven is within you. So the kingdom of God in the world is planted in the hearts of men and women. And the Lord can mobilize his kingdom and move it around the face of the earth because he moves his people around. So the kingdom of God is wherever you are practicing the lordship of Jesus. There the kingdom of God is operating. So I like to say that good ground is being developed heavenly real estate. The Lord lives on the property that is my life. My thought life, my behavior, my actions, my schedule, the sphere of my influence, if you will, or the boundaries of my responsibilities. All these things are my life. That's why, whether it's your family, it's your job, wherever you go, when you're a child of God, God expects that area of your life to be surrendered to Jesus so that he can be Lord of that area of your life. Hallelujah. Amen. So, Jesus said this person who is good ground is the one who they receive and understand and do the word of God. And so they become basically productive heavenly farmland. And that doesn't mean that every square acre of your life has to be producing abundant, abounding fruit. But you are, little by little, either in big chunks or little increments, being, um, being developed, hallelujah, and farmed by the Holy Spirit of the Word of God. And when the Lord sows seed into you, it starts coming out. It starts reproducing. Jesus said the good ground produces fruit. And I like the fact that he said some a hundredfold, which means you put in one seed, you get 100 back. There's a multiplication factor. The Word of God 
Jesus described as a mustard seed. It doesn't have to be big, it's little. Why is, the king, why is the kingdom of God planted in such a small little seed so it can get into little bitty areas? God doesn't worry about bigness. He can make whatever needs to be big, big. God is interested in starting really small. So if there is only just a little bit of time or a little bit of thought life or a little bit that you can turn and yield to the Lord, that's all God needs. He just needs a little bit of, little area that he can, that he can land on. And his kingdom can begin to work and grow from there and uproot the kingdom of darkness, begin to uproot everything else. He could spread out and start taking over. All he needs is just a little area of your life submitted to him. You don't get, need to get it all together. You just need to take what is together and just let him be Lord of that. That's good ground, and it'll produce 30, 60, 100-fold. You will bear fruit, and you are. You are not only the fruit, but you are bearing fruit. Praise the Lord. Have you ever noticed that... Um, when people are usually, if they come to Pinellas County or any other place and they're looking for a place to live, they usually don't go to some lot that's overgrown with bushes and trees and there's nothing developed on it and say, oh, that looks like a great deal. I can pick that up for just about a song. But you can't live there. Nobody lives. Maybe they may camp, sleep in the bush for a few nights or whatever, but nope, they're just passing through. You have to be developed ground for people to want to stay there on that developed ground. And, um, but you bear fruit, which means when God sows in you His Word, it reproduces itself in you. That's what bearing fruit means. Bearing fruit doesn't just mean that, um, oh, I've led a thousand people to Jesus, or I've led a hundred people to Jesus. It's not just talking about you leading others to Jesus. It's talking about everything that is a quality of the kingdom of God God wants to reproduce in you. The power, the grace, the peace, the joy, um, all of it. So he wants to sow the word of joy in you and let it grow so that that Eeyore attitude you've got starts being affected by the Tigger yeah, attitude, uh, the, 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 the joy. So the word of grace will reproduce grace. The word of peace. When you hear a message about Jesus, the Prince of Peace, what do you do with that message? And if you're a person that struggles and strives, you get into contention easily, you're easily offended, whatever the issue is, that's an area in your life that's just not under the Lordship of Jesus. The way to deal with it is you need to go hear the word of peace. What does the Bible say about Jesus, the Prince of Peace? You see, let the peace of God rule your heart. That's one scripture. Let the peace of God rule, and that word rule means umpire. It's the same word we use for umpire. So the umpire sitting there behind the plate. The guy from third base slides in, big cloud of dust, and uh, half the people in the stadium are screaming, going, he's out! And the other half are screaming and yelling, he's safe! But the way it stands... It all comes down to one guy. One guy says, and people can agree with him or disagree with him. Half the stadium is going to be angry at him. He's called the umpire. He said, he's safe. And that's it. They can grumble about the call, but the umpire makes the call. And so the Bible says, let the peace of God umpire the struggles and strifes in your heart. Now, you, you're a person that you have a difficult time 
at peace. You're argumentative or you struggle or you strive or whatever it might be. Um, you need to get the word of the kingdom about peace and sow it into yourself. Get that word, begin to study it, begin to receive it, begin to hear it, begin to yield your will to it. Think of those three things. You have a desire for peace in the kingdom of God. Next, you're using a little bit of your will. I'm ready to use my will to take hold of this word concerning peace. And then you spend the time, rather than chasing after the strife, stand to that word, say, well, you know, I'm not going to get myself all my, my panties in a wad over this thing. Um, I, you know, the Lord is the Prince of Peace in my life. And Lord, I thank you for that peace. The Holy Spirit brings peace. And you're standing on the word. That seed, one little verse, you start standing on it, exercising faith, and it'll grow and produce 30 times, 60 times, 100 times. God is a multiplication God. Can you say amen? You understand what I'm saying? It doesn't take a lot. You've got to sow the word into your life and the kingdom will grow. It'll multiply. Faith reproduces faith. The word of comfort will reproduce comfort. The word of healing will reproduce healing. You can't walk around as a Christian and believe that God doesn't want to heal anyone, doesn't want to heal you, and then expect God to heal you. You've got to go to 1 Peter 2.24 where it says that with his stripes you were healed. Past tense, you were healed. And then go and stand on that word before the throne of grace and know there's a case for me believing and expecting God to heal me. 1 Peter 2.24 says, with his stripes I was healed. And so you have to make up your mind, set your feet upon that word. Stop letting uh, people talk you out of it and stand on that word. And guess what? It'll reproduce healing in you. Some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. Isn't that awesome? Amen, amen. So you only need a little bit to produce a lot. Take the desire, the willpower, and the availability that you have and plant God's word in it, and God's multiplication will take over in your life. And the Lord will be happy because you're growing. God is always advancing. He's growing, and He wants to advance and grow in you. It says it yields 30, 60, and 100 fold. And you know what? As the kingdom of God grows in you, as it, as it multiplies in you, and those qualities grow in you, you'll become a piece of heavenly real estate. Good ground where other people can come and what's happening in your life can sustain them. You'll be, you'll be that person who leads others to Jesus because they can see the kingdom of God manifesting in your life. You can stand in front of people, talk all day long, but if there's no manifestation of the kingdom in your life, People don't know that they're seeing the fruit of the kingdom, but in their spirit they can tell. They can tell there's the fruit of the kingdom, and it draws and it attracts people. Close with this thought, Proverbs 10.21 says, The lips of the righteous feed many. The lips of the righteous feed many.